Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today's guest is... Dan Hake. I'm a writer, I'm an artist, and I own a tattoo shop. Quite the uh, artist, for lack of a better term. Um, creator, creative person. Um, I try. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you from, originally? I'm from all over my dad's army, so every three years we'd move. Like, I lived in Germany, I lived in upstate New York, I, I've lived, since I moved out of my family house, I've lived in Texas, I've lived in Philadelphia, everywhere. Got it. Typical, quote-unquote, army brat. Yeah. What uh, what was your childhood like, aside from being bounced all over, all over the place? Well, I think it was really good um, right up until I was about 11, because my parents are, like, my dad grew up in Africa. His parents are missionaries, and they just kind of, like, let him do whatever. Like, he'd hop on a train and go to South Africa and go hunting with friends or whatever. So he kind of treated us like that. He's like, hey, just be home at 6 o'clock for dinner. That's it. <laughs> and uh, that was great. We'd, we'd build, like, tree forts, and we'd BMX bike everywhere and, like, skateboard down sewer tunnels and stuff. <laughs> but then right around 11, 12, I started to get into first heavy metal and then punk rock. And uh, my dad's very conservative, very military, very Christian, and none of that went well. Yeah, did, I'm guessing this would be around the late 80s or late 70s, early 80s. No, this would be um, actually late 80s, uh, okay. almost the 90s. Got it. Any particular bands at that time that, that kind of drew you into them? Yeah, well, first I was into a bunch of like hair metal bands like uh, Def, like Def Leppard and uh, Rat and, you know, I didn't really like the ones that were like full on, you know, fluffy hair metal like Poison, but I, I liked a lot of the bands that I thought were kind of cool at the time. And then I remember I got three albums all at the same time that changed my life. I got uh, Meg Death, Peace Cells, I got Metallica, Ride the Lightning, and I got um, Slayer, Rain of Blood. And I was like, holy shit. You know, they just it changed everything I listened to. I, I remember when uh, Injustice for All came out. And my friend bought the album, and his mother took the cassette, yes, the jewel case, and opened up and started reading lyrics. And she's like, what the fuck are you listening to? <laughs> I think they're pretty intelligent lyrics. I mean, you know, instead of going like, yeah, we're going to summon demons or whatever, it's more like, yeah, a lot of stuff is corrupted. We should, uh, we should look into that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was always a fan of it. I think uh, Master of Puppets and Ride of Lightning are my two favorite albums from, uh, from Metallica. Yeah, no, I agree. When did you start your artistry, whether it be drawing or music or, or otherwise? Well, we didn't have a TV until fifth grade growing up, and that's when my grandmother fell sorry for us, and she gave us this little, like, 19-inch, like, fake wood paneling TV <laughs> that had a coat hanger as an antenna you know, with tinfoil wrapped around it, and we were only allowed to watch one hour a day. And, of course, we didn't have cable or anything, so we'd watch, like, Perry Mason or like Outer Limits or Twilight Zone or, you know, like Outer Limits is probably my favorite, 
you know, and then, but I was at that point, by the time we finally got it, I was so used to reading and drawing that that's just, it was kind of a normal thing for me. Like I remember when I was um, in third grade, my parents sent me to oil painting classes. So it was just, it was a thing I did. What's your, your favorite medium to express? Yeah, I see it's oil right now. Although it's pretty heavily followed by like, I like that kind of comic book style illustration, like, you know, pencils and then you detail with ink. Um, I kind of figure they're like almost two different worlds. Like, you know, and I do a lot of stuff for like magazines. I've done comics and I do live book covers and stuff. And if I do it for the outside, I often do oil. But if I do interior illustrations, I do them in the kind of comic book illustrated style. Got it. Yeah, I was looking at some of your artwork. It's utterly phenomenal. I noticed that you typically use black and then like one color, but like the different hues and shades of it. Yeah, I, I figure that's more uh, more influential. That really gets something across. I, I love when people do that. Like you know, if it would be like all in blues, but like all different shades of blues. Yeah, that's a little more dramatic because if you put all the colors in there. It could disrupt your feeling for the image. Like you, you kind of make a, an emotional mental bond with it. And it, it might also be a little bit confusing, like what you're supposed to look at. Right. Yeah. I think going with the, the almost monotone or, or the, the dual tone is you, you as the artist can kind of really cater to the emotion that you're trying to convey, whether you're sticking with blues or, or reds. Um, I, I was really intrigued by some of your, your artwork. Oh, thank you. When did you um, when did you start writing? Did you start writing short stories? Or did you just jump right into? Oh a novel? yeah, I couldn't decide if I wanted to be a writer or an artist. Um, I kind of dual back and forth in my head. I thought you had to pick one. It wasn't until I read like comic books like Watchmen and Dark Knight. They go, oh wait, you can do both. <laughs> but uh, I remember I wrote my first novel. I'm sure it's horrible if you read it now. But I wrote my first novel in fifth grade, and I wrote it on like lined paper, and I did like little illustrations on the bottom of it, but yeah, definitely gonna have to pick that up. I want. I'm. I'm definitely interested in. Uh, well, don't pick that. that one up because nobody can pick that one up because it's <laughs> fucking horrible. But uh, <laughs> I, I have three novels out that that I like much better. Which ones? Uh, the Sea uh, Black Seas of Infinity. Black Seas of Infinity was my first one, and well, I thought the hard part would be writing it, not getting it published. No, it's getting it published. It's getting someone to put out your work. And then I wanted to paint the cover and do interior illustrations, which also is a huge headache. A lot of people don't want you to do it. So in the meantime, while I was like going through all the process of trying to fill different people and different publishing companies and stuff, I started writing short stories. And I eventually collected all the short stories in one novella into my second book, which is called Down Highways in the Dark. And then I wrote my third novel, which is my latest one that came out. It's called The End of the World. And it's kind of a sequel to the Black Seas of Infinity, but includes some of the characters from the short stories. Nice. Like you kind of keep that comic book thing of like all in one continuity. But the stories are nice and intertwining. Yeah. So you were involved in an accident in 1997. What, what, what was, uh, I guess, the events that led up to that? Well, it, it's... I, I've been in a whole string of accidents, so I, I, I don't know that there there's one like there, there's there's one in like 1991 where my car flipped, my face went through a windshield, um, and 
I, I remember, like, I looked very punk rock. Like, it looked like a British punk rocker, like a <laughs> mohawk and a leather jacket with spikes on it, all painted up and everything. And I remember being in the ambulance, and when the nurse is going, I wouldn't let my kid look like that. Would you let your kid look like that? And then when he got to the hospital, and, like, my face was all cut up. Like, my teeth went through my, my, uh, through my lip. And, you know, so they're sewing me up, but they figured, ah, oh, it's just punk rocker. He probably can't pay. So they had interns doing it. And the doctor would come out and say, oh, you're making the stitches, you know, way too far apart. They come in, oh, no, you're making them way too close together. And they kept shooting me up um, to numb the area, but it kept not numbing the area. They started setting me up, and I'm like, oh, I can feel it, you know. <laughs> so they shot me up six times. We wore out halfway through, and then they shoot me up again. And then there was a girl that was driving, because I was too drunk. We were at a club, and I, I had a fake ID, and I got in there, and I got drunk. Um, but she also had a fake ID, which I didn't realize because I was like, oh, let me see your driver's license. Okay, you can drive my car. So when she drove it, she flipped the car, and it's all her fault, but she told her mom that I grabbed her arm, and that made her wreck. Oh, and shit. so her mom comes in and is yelling at me while I'm getting my face stitched up. <laughs> I don't even know why they let the mom to the operating room, but, yeah. you know. And then I, there's been a whole string of sense stuff since then, you know. I, I was a bike messenger for a little over a year. I would get hit probably once a week. Like, I, something would happen daily. And I was like, if I got that out of the way, I'm like, all right, that was my, you know, my bang up for the day. But I would get like a like a serious, like, cabbie running into me or something like every week. And uh, then when I moved to New York and I was trying to make it an artist, I, I had a cabbie that, like, almost ran me over like i was stuck under his cab jesus yeah the uh the taxi drivers in in the city are a different breed <laughs> yeah you uh started tattooing a few years after that 2000 yeah i started i started tattooing and i in 99 and uh it's kind of debated because there's somebody that insists i tattooed him in 98 i was like i didn't even live in new york at that point <laughs> but uh I think about 99 and in 2001 I came down with brain cancer and I ended up in the hospital. What was uh, that journey like for you? Well, it's, it's not easy to get a tattooing career. So, you know, I figured I had just gone through everything and it was finally taken off and I was finally doing something. But then I started getting headaches. And so I would just take like, you know, Advil and go away I mean, I had no money. I was a beginning tattoo artist. And then I went to like a, like a local clinic. It was a, like, they didn't really speak English. And they said, Oh, you just have migraines. They said, we'll give you migraine medicine. And they're like, Oh no, we're out. You know, they wrote me this prescription. So I went to the local pharmacy and they couldn't read his handwriting and they're trying to call him and he wouldn't pick up the phone. So they had me go to another clinic and this one I paid a lot more money for. And they said, oh, you're just dehydrated. And they pumped me full of saline solution. And they're and like, at this point, like, the headaches are getting worse and worse. And, and I told them, I said, hey, do you think it's brain cancer? Oh, no, no, don't worry about that. You know, don't jump to conclusions. And the next day, like, the night before, me and my girlfriend had Chinese food. And the next day, I'm throwing it up. And, like, I, I, I'm, like, my head hurts so badly. I'm thinking about just putting a gun in my mouth and ending it. And, uh. You know, she's calling the clinic nonstop, and when they finally pick up, they go, go to the hospital. 
So I go to the hospital, and uh, they ran a CAT scan. First, they go, what do you do? I say, Muay Thai. They say, oh, it's a brain bleed. And they put me in the CAT scan. They go, oh, wait, it's cancer. What was the uh, – how did they come to that conclusion? Was it a CAT scan or blood work? Well, it was a CAT scan, and they said, you know, apparently if it's large enough to give you headaches, it'll be picked up in the CAT scan. Right. So they then ran MRI, which are way more extensive. And they said that it was all like necrotic tissue. It was like dead tissue inside. So maybe the tumor had been there for a while, but I had about two weeks because once it broke open, I'd be dead. That was it. Yeah. So, you... so I'm kind of lucky that I came in when I did, you know, and they also gave me like uh, medication to take away the pain because, you know, my head was throbbing. Like I couldn't even walk straight. I was trying to walk in the hospital and like walking sideways. My girl had to keep readjusting me to, make me walk straight to even make it in. How did they, did they remove that tissue and, and all that? Yeah, they they, I went through surgery. They spent four days of like a MRI, MRI with contrast. Um, it's brutal because they won't let you eat. So you're, you know, and they won't let you drink. You can only have ice chips. So it's like you're, you're starving, you know, you're, you're dehydrated. And uh, then they do surgery and they told me, they said, well, it's brain surgery. So you're about a, 50-50 chance of making that. Fortunately, I, I think I made it unless we're living in the Matrix or something. <laughs> when it comes to, to tattooing, can you describe what it's like to tattoo skin as opposed to having a, a pen in your hand and drawing on paper? It's um, some things are almost the same and some things are completely different. I thought it would be um, much more similar when I started because I went to art school and I moved to New York to try and get an art job. Like I, I auditioned with uh, Penguin Books or interviewed with Penguin Books and interviewed with DC Comics and stuff like that. By the way, DC Comics pays you no money and gives you no control. But I just want to get that out there. They're, <laughs> they're, and and they're, they're very rude. Um, and, but so when I started tattooing, I was like, Oh, this will be easy. And here's a weird thing. Like a lot of people learn how to, how to draw at the same time as they learn how to tattoo. They learn, they learn like all the principles of art while they learn how to tattoo. And, uh, I was like, Oh, well I know all those. So this would be a piece of cake. It's not, not at all. There, there's a lot of stuff that's different. And over time, as it evolves, you learn how to take the same style that you use for drawing and painting and apply it towards the tattoo and what you need to change to make it hold up on the skin. But when you start out, it's not easy at all. As as an artist in general, who were some of your influences? Well, I have my I have my straight up art influences and I have my tattoo influences, and they were totally different. And to be perfectly honest, when I started tattooing, like I was mainly used to like, you know, those old school traditional tattoos. And uh, so I didn't really take it that seriously. I was like, this is what I'll do until I get a real job. And then after a while, you know, I started thinking I could do a lot more. I started really enjoying it. And, and I was like, this is for me. And I stuck with tattooing. But uh, my early, one of my early influences was Mike Kaluta and he went to a school I wanted to go to. Um, I remember I was in the South at the time, so I asked my guidance counselor how I could get uh, a loan to go there because my dad was like, that's not a real career. Art's not a real career. 
So I was just asking her how I could get, you know, some sort of grant or loan or whatever. And she said, get ready for a career pumping gas because that's all you're ever going to do. It, it boggles my brain why people have that mentality and that mindset that, that being an artist and being creative is a kind of a dead end job. When you look at how much art goes for you paintings, whether we're talking the really old stuff that, that, you know, the famous painters or even the newer stuff, the, the modern stuff, it, it still goes for, you know, insane amounts. So I, it all, I've always been bothered when people kind of talk down about artists or, you know, you're not going to make it and you don't have the skill or it's, it's just infuriating to hear that. Well, I, I think I think they should definitely give them the shot. I mean, I, I understand a little bit of like there are people who want to be a professional musician and there are people who want to be a professional artist. And a lot of them, they don't find a way to make it work. Right. And, you know, part of that's luck. Part of that's like you have to be nonstop, you know, ambitious, like hit up every single opportunity. And, and I can understand, like, like uh, H.R. Geiger, who did the designs for the movie Alien, you know, he won an Academy Award for that, for, like, best design, all, all sorts of stuff. He was a really respected artist in Europe before that happened. And he wanted to go to art school, and his dad said, go to architecture school. Because, you know, he's kind of like art school, but then you can turn it into a trade if you can't make it as an artist. So I, I think that was a lot more in people's minds back then. But... You can talk to people. Don't tell them they're going to pump gas. Yeah. I think it's – there's a lot that has to be said for having a talent. But to to squash it before somebody even gets a chance to explore it by saying, you know, get ready for, for job pumping gas as opposed to saying, yeah, try this, but, you know, have something in the back of your something head to fall mind. back on. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, to, to just squash somebody's dream of, of whether being a musician or a graphic artist like you – um, it, to, to squash that out of the gate, it, it's one of those things that's always frustrated me, and you, you hear it over and over again from guidance counselors, from teachers, from parents, um, you know, people that are seen as uh, authority figures in, in certain kids' lives. I'm a huge proponent for keeping the arts in schools for a number of reasons. I think that it's crucial for for kids to, to be exposed to different um, mediums of art, whether it is music or, or traditional painting and drawing, things like that, because it gives them an, an outlet to express themselves. It, it gives them something to be creative and think outside of the box and not have to worry about studying for a specific, you know, subject. We have a lot of people that, you know, they even have a full career doing something else. And then in the career, they go into painting or drawing or whatever. Like that was always something that kind of inspired them. And uh, I, I think that especially if you do anything and you kind of show an affinity towards it. Like I got straight A's in art. I was doing advanced art. I was doing art for companies and stuff. You know, like, like they have art one through four. I was doing beyond that. It was called graphic design. And so I was doing logos, I was doing stuff for magazines, you know. It's like I was full in, I was fully invested. And for people to say, yeah, that's not really a career, I think it's a bad idea. I think it's a yeah. bad move. This is also the South, though. So, you know, maybe <laughs> if I was in New York City, it would have been a different story. A bit different. <laughs> yeah. So 
as an as a tattoo artist, how often do you have people come in with an idea, whether it's a drawing or a picture or something, and you kind of look at it and go, and this is just going to be bad, and try and, I guess, talk them out of that particular idea into maybe something a little, something you can see that they're going to regret, but trying to talk them into something that that it's going to be That happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, it happens a little bit less to me. I mean, I've been tattooing for 22 years. So most of what I do now are people who get back pieces or full sleeves, like giant pieces, and they kind of know what they're in for. Right. Like they already have a few tattoos. They know what they're going for, and they're pretty open to whatever you think is going to work. Um, but I remember all my early years, like working at flash shops, and people would come in with pieces, and you're like, yeah, you know, like one thing is people love to have it on their arm so they can look at it. I'm like, yeah, but it looks upside down to the entire rest of the world. <laughs> like, oh, I don't care what anyone else thinks. It's like you will if for 15 years they're telling you it's upside down. Yeah. You know, it, but you get a lot of stuff like that. Another thing is like tattoos, like the, the ink expands over time. So if you do like lettering or whatever that is too small – over time, it's just giving me a blurry blob, and you're not going to read it. And you try to tell that to people, and they just insist they want what they want. I mean, they're a little more open now. I mean, that, that's one of the only nice things about, like, the TV shows and stuff, you know, is that people realize you are you might actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> did you Speaking of the TV shows, did you try getting on any of those as, as a contestant? Well, they asked me to be on Ink Master like four times. Like, uh, and then they had another one called Best Ink, mm-hmm. and uh, and I just I would hang up on them. <laughs> and, and yeah, because the thing is, you're not really, you're not you. You're whatever they pitch you as. Right. It, it, it's you know heavily edited. Like that first Ink Master, almost everybody on that, they were personal friends of mine, and they would just tell me stories. I was like, holy shit. And I remember um, when they were the first Ink Master, they pitched to me. They said, "Oh, we're talking to people like Guy Atchison, Jeff Gogway." And I'm thinking to myself, "I'm like, well, you know, those are real serious artists. So if they're talking to them, it's probably they're probably taking this a little bit. You know, they're, they're, there's more impact there." Um, but the thing is, what I did know is they contacted those artists, and those artists said, "Yeah, go fuck yourself." <laughs> so it, they didn't have those artists. And then at like they changed a little bit because this was in the early days. Like they were gonna sh- they were gonna shoot it in Montauk, but then they ended up shooting in Manhattan, I think. And in the early days, they weren't gonna pay you at all. Like they ended up giving you like two hundred dollars a week, which is very minimal. But they weren't gonna pay you at all. And I said, so wait a minute, nobody gets any money. They're like, well, the person that wins does, and the person that wins get a hundred thousand dollars, and everybody else is screwed. Right. I'm like. So I paid a, because at the time I was living in Texas. I was tattooed down in Texas. I was like, so I fly there. I have a whole month where, you know, I don't have any work. I have to pay rent on the place I have back home. And then I only make any money if I win. And they're like, yeah, but look at all the publicity you'll get. I'm like, publicity doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> and then I said, well, you know, I have a tattooed head and I do horror tattoos. I don't think that I'm going to be the one that's picked to win. Right. You know, and they said, oh, well, I don't think people think like that. I'm like, I don't know what world you live in. I live in the real world. In the real world, that didn't fly. Yeah. And the guy that they got, I mean, he's real good. 
Um, but I heard that what they did is they, they said, because like, they were trying real hard to get somebody good on their show. And I heard that what they told him is he said, you know, we will guarantee you'll win if you just are on the show. So basically it was a done deal. Right. That's the one thing I noticed with, with a lot of reality TV in general is, you know, the, the forced drama, the dial, you know, it's basically dialogued and scripted drama that just drives me nuts. So I, I appreciate things that are less, um, manipulated, I think would be a way to put it. I could tell you so many stories. <laughs> It's uh, like uh, Billy Vegas and Jeremy Miller were both on the first um, Ink Master, and they're both good friends of mine. And apparently they're asking Billy Vegas, um, like they had a tribal challenge the next day, and they asked him how Al Affliction was going to do the tribal challenge. And that guy, at least especially back then, is not that good of an artist. And so, you know, Billy was like, you know, his, his – be a little cocky about it, but he was like, yeah, he's going to fuck it up. It's going to look horrible. So they spliced it and edited it and made it look like he's talking about Jerry Miller, who's a totally different artist, who's a friend of Billy's, and is a really good artist. And so when that airs, Jeremy calls him up. He's like, yo, I thought we were boys. What's going on? And Billy's like, dude, I'd not say that about you. I'd not say it. You know, but you are who they portray you as. Yeah. You know? If they want to paint you as a villain, they can paint you as a villain. Oh, Yeah. What's the the longest you've sat for a piece for uh, for as the artist? The longest piece I did, I do not recommend doing more than eight hours. By the way, <laughs> but I, I've like at one point I was like in all the magazines and everything, and everybody was inviting me to come do guest spots. And I remember I did one guest spot in Massachusetts, and I was working this guy's leg, and he wanted the whole thing done while I was there. So I did like a Godzilla raging through a city, and uh, it was 13 hours straight of tattooing. I can't imagine. And I what told him, I was like, I, like after a while, your your skin is just like fuck you, you know. <laughs> so like like after eight hours, you start tensing up a little bit more, and you, you know, so you're actually doing more damage to the skin, and the more damage you skin, the longer it takes to heal. The longer it takes to heal, the less ink it keeps on the skin. Right. So it's not a good idea. Yeah, I have a I had a piece done on my one arm that I think I sat for four sessions, about an hour and a half, two hours each session, um, and I love it. I think it came came out fantastic. Um, what style of art um, do you prefer? I, mean, I know you mentioned that you do like horror themed type things. Is there a particular style aside from yeah. horror? I mean, well, not like I cartoonish like, or things like that, but yeah, you know. <laughs> it, it's a. Uh, I guess it because there are different kind of straight niches in tattooing. I don't know that I fall in one exactly. Like there's a photorealism. I'm not the photorealism guy. I, I I try to keep it more realistic, but I add a little bit of my own flair to it. Mm-hmm. You know, there are the people that do what's called uh, neo traditional. There's traditional. There, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different genres of tattooing um but i think what i do is like kind of like when you look at like a book cover or you look at a comic book it's like a little bit the contrast a little higher it's a little more heavily illustrated you know it's still 
the good ones at least are, are so kind of realistic, mm-hmm. but they have that little extra pop to them. Got That's it. what I try and do. And I prefer, I prefer if it has like kind of a dark theme to it. It doesn't have to be straight up slasher, you know, Henry, the Persian serial killer, you know, you mean but that? as long, as long as it's cool. So you don't do a lot of pieces like the uh, one of Patrick Bateman from American Psycho then. I've done that. <laughs> I mean, there, there was one point because people love to like tag you with something. So when I was like in all the magazines, it was like, oh, the horror guy. <laughs> so, you know, like I, I, I don't know how many times I did Pinhead from Hellraiser. I did Pumpkinhead a bunch of times. I did Freddy. I did, I don't know how many times I've done Jason. I've done Jason a million times. I did, uh, I did Baby from Dell's Rejects. I did, um, uh, I, I could just keep going all day. I did all these iconic horror figures. Who but is my favorite? Is actually doing stuff that's a little bit more obscure because, like, okay, I did, I did Pinhead on you. How many Pinheads are there out there? <laughs> There's a million out there. Who's your uh, your, your favorite uh, horror villain, so to speak? Well, my favorite horror villain or my favorite horror movie or I mean, I can nerd out about this. (laughs) (laughs) We'll go with your favorite villain. And if it's not the same one of the movie, what's your favorite horror movie? I I would say probably my favorite horror movie would be The Shining because I figured The Shining is so well done. Like it's very tightly scripted. There are ones that I like how crazy they get, like how more off the wall. The Thing from Another World by John Carpenter is a great movie. Uh, the Fly by David Cronenberg is a great movie, but they don't they don't have quite the tightness that you know the, the Shining has. Like The Shining is like is so well constructed. Like every like you can watch it and see something new every time. That's Kubrick for you though. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I like a lot of his movies actually. Keeping kind of. With the the dark theme of things, I, I want to kind of go back into something because you, you experienced something um, s- kind of on par to something that I experienced uh, years ago. Um, in two thousand six, you lost your wife in a rather traumatic way. Can you talk about that a little bit about what went down and and how that kind of Dealing yeah. with that trauma is directed to where you are now. Yeah, and uh, by the way, fuck the NYPD. But uh, <laughs> no, I was in bed, and she was going to um, music school early in the morning in, at Pratt. Um, and she'd go like on the weekends when she didn't tattoo. Um, although weekends are often a really good day to tattoo. But anyways, so I got a call at 9 o'clock, and apparently this happened at 7 in the morning, and it took it that long for them to call me. They're like, yeah, are you married to Monica Hank? You know, that's her name, Monica. And, uh, I, you know, immediately I'm wide awake, and I'm like, yeah, what's going on? Like, oh, I don't know. She ran a red light, or uh, she ran a stop sign or something. It was like, that sounds very vague for how serious this is. I'm like, well, what's the, you know, what's the title of the investigation squad? Oh, we don't have one yet, but I can tell you my name. So then I immediately went to the hospital, and it was a horrible hospital. It was in the Marcy Projects, which is where Jay-Z's from, you know, and uh, I remember because 
I did a lot of artwork for the band Indecision, and I tattooed every pretty much every member except for the drummer of Indecision. And uh, the bassist was uh, Rachel Rosen, and she was uh, she worked for the medical examiner's office in New York City. So I remember I immediately called her up. She's like, get her out of that hospital. That hospital is horrible. But I, I went to the hospital, and, and I, you know, I'm watching, like, the machines, like, you know, every minute, see if, it, like, the vital signs go up, if they go down. You know, apparently she got nailed. She flew off. Of, she was on a motorcycle, so a car hit her, and she flew off the motorcycle, landed on her head, and it snapped her neck. And it, they didn't get her to the emergency room for a little over 30 minutes. If you don't have... If you don't have oxygen to the brain for 30 minutes, you're brain dead. You will never recover. But they didn't tell the hospital that. So the EMTs brought her in, and and the hospital revived her body. Like, she never woke up, but it revived her body. And nobody told us that. So, you know, we're thinking, oh, there's hope. Oh, there's hope, you know. And, and like, I remember I was waiting, and, you know, it, it got – I, I went overnight, you know, the next morning I went downstairs to get some coffee and I went to go back upstairs and, and there was this big security lady and she was like, you can't go upstairs. And I was like, why? She goes, it's not visiting hours. I was like, my wife is dying upstairs. She goes, so? And I wanted to punch her in the face, but, you know, that would not have got me upstairs. <laughs> so I'm like gritting my teeth. I'm like, what do I do to get upstairs? And she said, oh, well, the doctor has to tell me that you can come upstairs. So I, I went over to the lady at the counter, and I said, can you please call upstairs and have the doctor call the security lady? And so she calls the doctor. Doctor says, all right. So lady at the counter calls up the security lady. She goes, yeah, I can go upstairs. Security lady goes, no, he has to call me personally. And so power trip. my teeth even more. I turned back to the lady at the counter. I'm like, can you please ask the doctor to call her personally? And she goes, no, why should I? So I had to go to a payphone, call the doctor upstairs, and get the doctor to call the security lady so I could go upstairs. And uh, the the only the only good thing that happened with all that is, so she's a recent immigrant from Colombia. So she spoke Spanish, and her brother spoke Spanish. And I'm good friends with their brother. And so I spoke English. He spoke Spanish. And I went to all the English-speaking TV stations. He went to all the Spanish-speaking TV stations. We just talked about how horrible the hospital was, how badly they were treating us. So I don't know if they fired the security later or they moved her somewhere else. But, you know, she suddenly disappeared. The president of the hospital came and apologized to me. You know, yeah, it, it was a whole mess. How did losing her, um, I guess, alter your, your course and, and, and maybe guide you to where you are now? Well, it was obviously it was hugely traumatic because you feel like you lost something that was an integral part of your life, mm-hmm. you know. But at the same time, it made me go, look how short life is. I mean, I I'd gone, I'd just gotten over brain cancer and then she died, you know, so it was like like that's what really made me get down on getting my first book out. Like I started writing it, but I was writing a little bit here, writing a little bit there. I was like, no, I got to get on it full time. 
And I was like, this is what I want to do. I have to get that book out. How long did it take you to write that? It, well, like I said, I was like, usually it takes me about a year to write a book, you know, but that one I was writing a little bit here, a little bit there. So I'd written about half of it about in about a year and a half. And then she died. And then I was like, I, I really got to make a push to get it out there. There was a, there's an Irish author who writes horror novels called Wayne Simmons. And uh, he just, he sent me one of his novels. Um, one of the characters was a tattoo artist and he wanted my opinion on his portrayal of a tattoo artist. And if I give him any tips or whatever. So he gave me the book, I read it. And uh, there were some things that were huge stereotypes that were not true. And I talked to him and he adjusted them. But then I was like, Hey, this guy has some connections with publishers. So I was asking him. So he's like, so I, I, I then like almost finished it up too fast and tried to send it to his publisher and they rejected it, which I kind of glad they did because it was pretty horrible. But then I sat down and I carefully wrote all the rest of it and edited it and double checked it and then started submitting it around. And eventually I had, you know, one company called Anarchy Books that took it and then, and then, I had another company a few years later that took it. And so, so I, I'm kind of happy with where it progressed. Got it. Given the, the, the traumatic things that you've been through, whether, you know, referring to your wife or, you know, their, your accents that you were in, um, is there anything that you do to kind of any activities that you do that you find to be cathartic and kind of help you find your center and rebalance yourself? Well, I do, uh, I do martial arts. I don't know if that's really as much based off of what I've been through. Uh, well, it is based off what I've been through, but more what I went through as a punk rocker in the South and getting beat up all the time <laughs> for looking like that. Yeah. And I was like, I've, I've got to learn how to fight. So, so then like now I'm doing Muay Thai and I'm doing Jiu-Jitsu. And, uh, I think that does help a lot with brain cancer because after brain cancer, you're not, your balance is thrown way off, you know? And the thing is like one ear, um, I have constant ringing in the ear. I have tinnitus in that ear and that's, you know, directly caused by the, like they shoot you off the radiation and they give you chemotherapy afterwards. So the radiation, um, the way that you hear is you have hair follicles in your ear and like, you know, sound waves bounce off them and they bend a little bit. And it gives you, and the, the reason why you have ringing is part of those hairs break off. So it's just like it's they're constantly providing feedback for things that aren't there. Got it. And and if you don't have your hearing, your balance isn't that great. So like it's all linked together. Yeah. What um, you're a blue belt with uh, two stripes under Henzo Gracie, which as a, a fan of the UFC, as, as somebody that's done a little martial arts, it's, I absolutely love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I'm. I'm dying to get back on the mat to do it myself. Um, what do you find is the best part of, of that? Because for me, there's there's a very cathartic thing about exhausting yourself, and I think the thing that I like about jiu-jitsu most is you don't have to do it you know, hun- you know, full bore the entire time you're on the mat. You can just kind of relax and just go with the flow. What I like about it the best is it's like chess. Like you carefully, like one move leads to another move and you try to think all through. And the the best roles are 
when you're attacking them and the other guy's attacking them. And you try to, like, it's not using strength. It's not using force. It's like, you know, and that that stuff actually, a jiu-jitsu often fights against you. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to use force, you know, they can catch you in something else. And I do Muay Thai too, but Muay Thai is more like checkers. Whereas <laughs> jiu-jitsu is more like chess. Yeah. I used to, to roll with a friend of mine. He's got a martial arts school. And, you know, we would just get into his flows where we would close our eyes and just roll to feel what was there. You know, the instant one of us would tap, we just you know let go of that and start working for something else. It's uh, your analogy of, of chess, I think, is absolutely on point because it is nothing. There, there's no other way to describe it than saying it's physical chess. I have uh, I've got a bunch of your time already, so I'm gonna kind of wrap things up with a couple of questions that are a little on the absurd side, possibly. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, they're, they're more for fun it's just to kind of leave things on a, on a higher more uh, pleasant note so the first question okay. uh, would you rather go bright purple when embarrassed or sweat so much you soak through your clothes bright purple <laughs> I, I don't even think that would be embarrassing I think that would be kind of cool <laughs> it's your superpower like avatar look but <laughs> purple instead of blue uh, I, would, I would say the purple thing too just because I already I mean, I'm the type of person that I could look at a picture of a light bulb and start sweating. Yeah. Uh, question two. Would you rather have a one-minute conversation with your past self or your future self? My future self, definitely. Right. I, I think I think my future self would have a lot more interesting intake than my past self. I mean, if you take me in 19, I was a fucking dumbass. <laughs> I, I think I would... I think I would want to talk to my my younger self just to kind of say, hey, you're going to have some really bad shit happen in your life, but you'll get through it and be better for it on the other side. Yeah, well, I mean, if you could advise your younger self, that might help, yeah. If you could reincarnate yourself, would you rather come back as a human or as an animal? It kind of depends on what animal, but probably human. Probably, I have a big thing with, like being intelligent enough to like read books and, and comprehend everything. And I haven't really seen, I mean, there are some, like they say that uh, chimpanzees now are going through their own stone age, Yeah. you know? So like they're using tools and so on. So there are some animals that have developed more cognition than others, but nothing really rivals human beings. I think I've, I've seen enough of humanity that frustrates me enough to I might want to come back as a squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> and the last question, would you rather be a superhero or a wizard? A superhero. It kind of depends, again, on what kind of superhero. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the uh, the room to, to run with that. Like what superhero would I like the best? Yeah, like what kind know. of powers would you have? I don't know. I mean... It's kind of hard not to go with like the kind of Superman, like you you can do everything powers. Because I think flying would be awesome. I think that immortality would be awesome. I think like being able to go into space and not have it affect you would be awesome. <laughs> I think having like invulnerable skin so like people can't blow you away would be awesome. Yeah, but then it's you can like, get tattoos. Yeah, <laughs> you couldn't get tattoos. Yeah, that that would kind of be a downside. I think I would rather be a wizard. Uh, Maybe if you had kryptonite needles. <laughs> that, that might be the way to get your uh, get your tattoos done. 
Uh, I think I would go with a wizard just for the fact that I've always been a fan of Dungeons and Dragons. I've always been a fan of you know Merlin and and the the great mythic wizards and, and use of uh, magic. So I would definitely have to say I'd rather be a wizard. Where can people check out your art, find your books, and, and learn more about you? Well, my books are all available on like Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and uh, my latest book, uh, they have an audio version. It's on audible.com. So you can find all my books that way. You can also go to my website and all my tattoo work and my illustrative work is there. It's uh, danhink.com. It's D-N-H-E-N-K.com. I will make sure to put the... uh your Instagram, your Twitter, and your, your website in the show notes so people can just click the links and find you. Okay, cool. I thank you very much for your time, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.